Hey guys, welcome to episode six. Lauren and I are really excited that you guys are still listening and uh, <laughs> keeping along with us every week. We're growing, we're learning how to do this whole thing, so thank you for joining us again. I have my sister, Kinsey. She's my older sister. We're seven years apart, and she's here to share her story with us. Let's just jump in to kind of like how you've been lately. Mm-hmm. Kinsey, thank you for coming. Yes. Thanks for having Guys, me. Guys, she's my sister. She's so cool. Oh, this is and so we cool. are so pumped. So pumped yeah. to have her on here. This is um, awesome. Thank you for having me. So, why don't you just kind of update us how you've been, yeah. what's been up? I haven't talked to you in a while. So, just kind of give me <laughs> give me like a like awesome. the last couple, like how you've been in quarantine, what you've been up to. Yeah, tell her about um, work and stuff. Okay, yeah. so I live in Austin, Minnesota. I work at the Mayo Clinic there. Mm, I didn't know you're at the Mayo Clinic. Yeah. Wait, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm a phlebotomist. I just went to school in. Let's see, it was October to December in Rochester, and then pretty much started working right away. So yeah, then like COVID hit, I was just getting used to working, and that all started, and it's been absolutely crazy at work. It's just like every day we show up, and it's like, what chaos is today going to (laughs) bring? No, I bet. Um... So that's kind of stressful. It's really hard for me to separate, like, work and home. Mm. My mind is just, like, going and going after work, and I'm so, like, ramped up and on the go, and then to just slow down and get home and, like, spend time with my family is a difficult transition. You have people who literally have not left their homes in three months, and this appointment is, like, the first time they've been out, or you get people who just, like, I don't know, don't really care you know, and they're out frequently because of the doctor or something. Mm -hmm. So there's been, like, exposures at work. You know, we have to wear, like, proper equipment in the hospital. And if that's, like, breached, um, people have to take weeks off. Some people have taken months off. Some people have retired, quit. So it's just, like, a lot. Yeah. After this long weekend, when I go back on Monday, it's going to be like... Oh, yeah, because you have to work yeah. every day, all day. Yeah. What do you have to wear for people who haven't been to the doctor um, or... So, as a phlebotomist, the person who draws blood at mm-hmm. the hospital, if you have, like, blood work. Um, so, we crazy. wear just, like, a basic hospital, I don't know, approved... It's like the yellow or green or blue, like, mask. And then if you Mm. go into, like, a precaution room, it doesn't necessarily mean somebody has COVID, but maybe that they're pending or they have, they're immunocompromised. Um, We'd have to wear an N95, which is a really tight mask, and then a shield over that. Oh, my gosh. And then a gown. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So it's, like, sometimes triple. (laughs) I mean, hey, I guess you have to when you're with that many people every day. Yeah, it's a lot of, like, extra steps, so. I don't know, but I love my job. It's been really good. good. Yeah. Yeah. How has it been with Blake? (laughs) Explain Um, who Blake is. (laughs) Okay, so Blake is my son. He just turned five in May. You know, little boys are energetic. Blake doesn't really stop. He is very high energy. He's so much fun. He's so curious. He is can be exhausting, <laughs> especially during COVID. So he was in um, his second year of preschool last year. Oh, my gosh. And that was cut short. You know, school's closed. <laughs> um, so we started the distance learning online. 
there's only so much preschoolers can do. Yeah. Um, so she would send home a lot of like, baggies with like packets and projects and stuff. Um, and then do like Zoom meetings with them. We struggled with that. He did not want to do any of it with me. Yeah. He was not having it. My boyfriend, Cody, he was able to get him to do it. He listens to him <laughs> a lot better all the time. And so they would sit down and knock out like, you know, a couple days oh, worth of stuff. That's awesome though. Yeah. yeah they... It must be a mom thing. Yeah, probably. Knows what he can get away with. <laughs> but overall, how yeah. has like your mental health been like lately? I'm like all in or I'm all out. So I'm like feeling nothing and I'm just like on autopilot, just going through my days. Everything's good. Like nothing's bad. Nothing's making me super happy, but like it's just good. Or I feel like I'm a crazy person. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I have had years like counseling in the past, um, therapy and stuff, but don't know if this is something fairly new that I need to deal with, but I just feel like I go zero to a hundred super fast. I feel like I'm aware of, I, okay, so I feel like there's things that I do, there's things I know I should do. Exercising would probably help. Mm -hmm. Talking to more people would probably help, but I just am like, oh, it's fine. I'll be fine. You know, tomorrow's a new day. And a lot of times that is the case, like I'll wake up the next day and I'm fine, but then, you know, how a week later, a couple of days later, or next month, you feel that same, like, right. craziness, and right. you're like, oh, we're back here again. Yeah. So. It's a scary feeling. Yeah. It is. Um, I am also a recovering drug addict, so I have, I just celebrated three years. That's so amazing! Yes! yes. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I don't know. So I grew up like with my, my parents were divorced and both remarried. Great childhood, great family, siblings. I had extra parents. Yep, my awesome <laughs> sister Lori. Hey guys. <laughs> um, so I'm the oldest of three siblings. Um, Lauren, Michael, and then I have another sister, Maddie. We're all about seven years apart. Yeah, that's insane. Um, So we like kind of moved a lot in my childhood and then especially me between my two parents. I went to Egan High School for most of my, I feel like that was kind of like a teetering point, and I like went to the other way. So mm -hmm. I like started hanging out with people who were drinking and like smoking pot and just partying a lot. You know, we have like family morals and traditions and values, and I was like the teenager in charge. I didn't want to have any rules, you know, and like follow anything, so I was like, well, I have this option, bye. And so I moved to my dad's and I started to become more independent, probably too early, like now mm -hmm. that I'm looking back at it. I graduated from Austin High School and then I immediately, that summer, that fall, moved out on my own. I started dating Blake's dad around that time and we were together for seven years. And I'd say, so the partying kept up when I moved and... Picking bad friends, making bad decisions, just doing whatever I wanted to do. Like, there's a difference between, like, I don't know, friends who care, like, really mm -hmm. care about you, and then just friends who are, like, looking for something or mm -hmm. someone to party with or drink with or... What they can get from you kind of thing. from you. Yeah. yeah drain you. Um, okay, so after I graduated high school, 
um, Blake's dad and I were together. Mm-hmm. I started college at the community college in Austin, and I was still partying and experimenting with all kinds of drugs and alcohol. And then I found a drug that really stuck, and I think I was maybe 19, maybe, when that okay. started. So, like, year after college, or year after high school. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and that was something that, like, immediately I liked it better than all the other things I had done. And from then on, I was chasing that feeling. And that's kind of, like, how an addict's brain works, at least for me, that's how I feel. Like, you get that good feeling of whether it's relief to, mm-hmm. like, forget things, to just make you not feel your feelings, basically. Um, and then you chase that. And it's, yeah. you're never going to get that original feeling, but you're going to keep chasing it. What do you mean? Like, like, because, like, the first time is different or mm-hmm, something? Okay. Yeah. And so, like, you're always chasing that good feeling or, like, that much of a cover-up for your mm-hmm. feelings. Okay. Years into using, um, I thought it was a good idea to buy my first house. That was around probably, I think I was about 21. That was like the worst point of my addiction. Things were so bad. My water was shut off. Like I wasn't paying my bills. The Mm -hmm. only thing I was worried about was getting more drugs. Yeah. And so, you know, in and out of jobs, not paying bills. And so that house actually got foreclosed on. And that all fell on me. Blake's dad wasn't on the house, so that okay. kind of sucked. Were you guys living together? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, okay. that whole time. I was also, like, doing things against, like, my own moral beliefs or standings. Thinking about it now, like, after the fact, I'm, like, appalled at myself. It's, like, mm-hmm. a totally different person when you're looking back at those things. That makes that sense. Whole, like, she didn't <laughs> even re- recognize herself. That's, like, exactly, like, how you didn't recognize yourself yeah. in college. Mm-hmm. Like, Maddie was, like, I don't right. even know that person. Yeah, that person. It's, like, an actual, like, you look back now and you're, like, who the heck was yeah, that? Yeah, like, the stealing and, like, all the lying and just, like, the manipulation. I would never do those things now. So I was using heroin, and with that comes a psychological and physical addiction. Okay. So, like, you don't just want it. Like, your body your body is telling you that you need it to get through the next day. Physical withdraws. So okay. your body, you know, if I'm using for two years straight and I wake up tomorrow and I don't have any, mm-hmm. I'm going to start getting hot and cold sweats. I'm going to start shaking. Mm-hmm. You could throw up, have diarrhea. It's hundred times worse than the flu it is horrendous and so then I would steal or you know and then trade them in for money just to go get high and it was just ridiculous so I was at that point where it was more of a physical a physical thing towards the end I I wasn't even getting high anymore I didn't even want to get high anymore I was just like sustaining so I didn't feel like shit like shit Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my mental health that whole time was just, like, fogged over. I was just using and using and using to cover up any feeling. There were times I do remember that I would get, like, super anxious because you'd have, like, a a quick moment of clarity, like, oh my god, my life is a disaster. I'm just digging myself deeper. I'm a piece of shit. You know, nobody likes me. I don't like myself. And then you're like, Oh my god, I can't handle this. A ton of negative self-talk always. So my mental health was crap then, for sure. And that's like a huge part of it. I think there's actually like information about a lot of addicts and alcoholics 
struggle already and that just seems to be a way that people try to cope with it. Like what was like your turning point? I had like, I think I've gone to three to five outpatient treatments, which is just like you're still living in your home, you're working your own job if you have one. You're going to like three times a week sessions with a yeah. group of other people and a counselor and you're like working through your addiction. I became pregnant with Blake, I think I was 22. I also feel like years of drug use has fucked my memory, so I hardly remember things from just a couple years ago. I was put on light supervision, basically if you want to say. The county was involved, social workers were involved. Basically, Blake wasn't mine for the time being. I had to like do all these things legally to get him back and mostly get and prove that I could stay clean. That first time around, I did not do that. I, I tried to some extent, but I wasn't removing the bad people, the bad places, and the bad things that I was, like, involving myself with. Mostly, Blake's dad, he was still using actively when I was trying not to use. That's so hard. Um, so when you're living with somebody and they're doing that, it just, you know, you need, like, supportive people and things that are going to lift you up. In December of 2015, I overdosed. I was driving and I don't remember what happened. I woke up in an ambulance. I'm super lucky to not have ever hit somebody else. I went in to the hospital. They revived me and sent me home wow. that same night. You'd think that that would be enough and it wasn't. I was probably using just a couple days after that again. You just feel like so low and you just keep telling yourself you are a piece of shit and your addiction, like your addiction's talking to you and it just, it's like the devil. It just wants to keep sucking you That's in such a until, good you're, until you're like dead. Like, what else is there? You keep going, you're going to die. And that's all like an internal battle in your head. And at that point, like the addiction was winning. And, and here again, I started probation. I had a check-in with my probation officer and give her a drug test every couple months is what it started. Well, the couple that I gave her, I was still using. And she can obviously see that. So she tightened it up a little bit. And it was like monthly. Still doing bad. Tighten it up. I think we got down to like three times a week. At this point, I thought I was just getting away with murder because I'm like, oh, she's not doing anything. She's not, you know, charging me nothing. Well, here she had, part of my probation was to basically like get checked to see if I qualified to go to treatment again or not. Here, all along, she was waiting for that. I skipped that appointment because I knew what was going to happen. They eventually talked me into going. I went and she's like, you need inpatient treatment. Um, inpatient is where you're basically sent away to a locked facility for a medical reason. You know, you're there to because your life is in danger. So I went to that and I was like, no, no, I, I can kick this myself, right? And she's like, if you don't agree to this, I'm going to call child protection on you again. And I was like, no, you won't. Like, and I don't need this. I'll, I'll stop. I didn't stop and she knew that counselor that I'd seen, I had been with her before. She knew I had a small child at home and she called child protection on me again. So this is my second strike with them. 
my probation officer put a warrant out for my arrest. I basically like knew this was all happening and I just like shut down for a week. Mm -hmm. I just stayed in my house. I didn't do anything. I decided to go through like withdrawals at home by myself um, before turning myself in. So I eventually just, you know, got Blake in a safe place and turned myself in at the jail. They kept me for a couple days and then a treatment center opened up and I remember it was over a holiday and like the head of the probation office, the main guy there was like rooting for me and all these people came together. Within a few days, they drove me there. I don't know. I just decided like it wasn't like a big light bulb, you know, all the bad stuff that happened in the past, nothing made me just want to change. I just decided, like, I was sick of living that way. Decided it was time to turn shit around. And then the hardest part was getting Blake back. There was a lot of hoops I had to jump through. Short timelines that left zero room for opportunity. Basically, the county was rooting for me to not ever have Blake back in my custody. For him to be adopted. And I got him back 100%. I don't know. It's just like crazy looking back on everything. Like I can't imagine ever living like that again. No matter how bad like some days get, I still don't have the urge to go get high again. All of a sudden you you get sober and then you're faced with like life. You're kind of like in this fluffy stage where you're like, you go to treatment, you don't have any responsibilities, you have jobs, nothing, you know, and then you get out and it's like, Okay, you're transitioning back into the world. I'd say that first year I was going to, so they hold meetings for sober people and it's Narcotics Anonymous. They hold them everywhere in the world. In Austin specifically, they're like multiple times a day, every day of the week. I was going every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. So yeah, it was pretty intense, but like I knew... If I could go do anything to get high, like, what's it to drive to a meeting for an hour to stay sober? You know, everybody has a family. Everybody has their reasons. But, like, every person has, they have a meaning. And, like, somebody cares about everybody. True. You know, and there's a reason, like, you're still alive. And you, you just have to find it in you to fight and get out of that. Way easier said than done so so worth it and you can't explain it really to someone who's still struggling most importantly you have to want it for yourself I know some of my times going to treatment my family pushed it oh I thought it's what you know my probation wanted but until I really wanted it for myself like it wasn't gonna work I know somebody very close to me who is struggling with stuff and people need to hear this yes that happened you are now here Mm -hmm. and like looking back like you don't like you said you don't even remember that person to see an example of somebody who like is now where you're at yeah that's like a big thing in the recovery program too like you can always be willing to share your story as scared as you might be i've shared mine a couple times now always nervous when i do it's like giving it's like the giving back part of the program in order to keep it you have to give it away like if you want like this if you want to keep this great thing and keep it going like you have to give back you have to share your story Mm -hmm. to keep progressing there's a few times too like in meetings or group or treatment that i've been asked 
would you, if you could go back, would you ever change it? And my answer is no, every time. What I went through is like so shitty and I'm sure like other addicts and alcoholics can compare. Like we've all been through some stuff. I am the person I am today because of all that insight or right. empathy or like understanding. Like for me, like identifying like, okay, this was a problem or this yeah. is a problem. And then being aware is like the first way that you're going to get towards changing something. Yeah. I don't know. I just... Now, like three years into it, I do need to get back to my meetings more routinely, but like that's the stuff that's going to keep me um, sober and healthy. Yeah. Um, just having people to talk to. I really got into church too this um, past couple years. My church is very similar to your guys's. Yeah, I love it. I don't know. Just like talking to other people who can relate to you. Mm -hmm. I think something that like that I learned about you right now through like this last like hour is that you are really good at identifying like what's going on and like being like okay what why am I feeling this way what can I do better like Thanks. yeah your story is amazing Thanks. and hopefully we can have you back on here sometime yeah, yeah maybe cody will want to come and talk yeah. sometime yeah, shout out yeah. cody <laughs> yeah um yeah no thank you for coming on here thank guys you. this is my sister she's Great. bomb thank you so much Thanks, guys. seriously i really appreciate you i'm gonna give you a hug Thanks.